We're proud to have United Harvest as one of our sponsors. Founded by farmers and ranchers, United Harvest brings the finest meats directly to your door via the magic of the internet and overnight delivery. United Harvest pays qualified ranchers more than 75% of the market prices to procure their top cattle. Owning their own butcher shop, cuts are carefully crafted, vacuum sealed, and flash frozen for ultimate freshness after a 14-day wet age process. Unique to United Harvest is that their grass-raised cattle are finished on cold potatoes, creating an amazing buttery flavor that's unmatched. In addition to premium cattle, many with the Krebs Ramps genetics, United Harvest offers Huterite pork raised by whole communities committed to pork excellence. Anderson Ranch's grass-fed Oregon lamb and Masami Japanese-American Wagyu Angus cross cattle. The Huterite's pork tastes like it's been marinated in apple juice for a week with such amazing tenderness and sweetness that you cannot find at a store. Anderson Ranch's lamb tastes both fresh and tender, like the best lamb you've ever had. Masami's Wagyu beef is like eating butter with an Angus flavor to it. It's pretty incredible. Everyone who's eaten it says it's life-changing, and it's a life-changing event. I'm offering you 15% off by typing the discount code FRIENDS15 in the discount box. We guarantee you will be absolutely in love with these meats. Please go to United Har- unitedharvest.com today. What am I going to do, quit? That's not an option. you got to keep on keeping on. Life's a garden, dig it. You make it work for you. You never give up, man. That's my philosophy. Welcome back to Legendary Mindset. I am your host, Jake P. Richardson. And uh, this week's episode is with Brian Schedule, a native of Pawnee, Oklahoma. Brian and his family have been involved in ag basically their entire lives. And right there in, in Pawnee, Oklahoma, they've been raising cl- competitive club lambs for, for at least 20 years, maybe more. Um, but um, we will get to that after we uh, hear a word from our sponsors. Legendary Mindset's premier sponsor is DuraFirm, which is a Biozyme brand. Uh, DuraFirm is a line of sheep and goat mineral supplements designed to ensure your herd is receiving optimal digestive health and nutrition resulting in maximized performance. This means this product has everything they need in in terms of vitamins and minerals. Um, You're not going to come up at the end of the year in terms of lambing season and have a big problem go down and be like, you know, why are we having this problem? You know, we shouldn't be mineral deficient at all. Um, You don't have to worry about that. This kind of has all of your bases covered in terms of what your livestock need to function and remain healthy through breeding season, um, when they're bred, lambing, and, you know, even in the open times. Um, Products include DuraFirm Sheep Concept Aid Protein Tub, DuraFirm Sheep Concept Aid Loose Mineral with and without heat options, and a DuraFirm Goat Concept Aid Loose Mineral. Um, Go ahead and check out DuraFirm.com, find yourself a dealer, and get some products that will work for you. We're here at the Oklahoma Youth Expo. We're just waiting for the grand drive to get started, and we're here with um, the mastermind behind Schedule Club Lambs. Um, where'd you Where'd you grow up? Were you from around this area? I grew up in Pawnee, Oklahoma. It's about uh, thirty about thirty miles north and east of Stillwater. Mm-hmm. Uh, born and raised there. Lived there my whole life, other than just a short stint where I lived in Western Oklahoma. But uh, population about 2,500. Yeah, roughly. What's uh, what's the major uh, commodity in that that part of Oklahoma? You think agriculture? Just agriculture. Yep, agriculture. You know, uh, 
beef cattle is the main deal mm -hmm. you know grass-fed beef uh mama cows stuff like that yep, what'd your you uh, what'd your parents do for money when you were growing up uh actually my parents own and operate a feed mill feed store there in pawnee really still this day yeah yeah wow. so they bought that in 1977 mm -hmm. So that have been like your your first job growing up was at the feed mill maybe. Yep, yep. I actually worked there part time. You know, kind of just always grew up there. And then when I was in college, worked mm -hmm. there. What was and, that like going there every day and working for mom and dad and doing oh, it as a family? Oh well, it's had its up and downs for sure. Yeah. You know, anytime you you work in a family business, mm -hmm. you know it's got its pros and cons. And some days it's good, and some days it's like, man, what the heck am I doing? Mm -hmm. But uh, that's what I did in college. Yeah. Uh, you know, tried to balance working and, and trying to make some money and go to school and mm -hmm. stay caught up. Yeah. So when you were little growing up and you were, you know, going out there to the feed mill to help your parents, did you think, yeah, I'll probably I'll probably do this forever. Like, this will be my thing? Or was that No, I never idea? did. But, you know, the funny part of that is, is so my wife and I were high school sweethearts. Mm hmm I guess is what they call that, you know. But um, in the yearbook, they – so she worked at the local pharmacy in town, and I worked, you know, there at my mom and dad's and stuff, and they had some deal in the in the yearbook, and they predicted that one day I would be the owner of Stockman's Mill and Grain in Pawnee, and she would be the owner of the Hillcrest – or not the Hillcrest, but the Pawnee Drug – and actually, it was several years ago, but we actually talked about maybe owning her buying Pawnee Drug because she's a pharmacist. And I was like, holy crap. The, the world that's coming together. Oh, man. That's funny. Most high schools have, like, you know, most likely to be a millionaire or, yeah. or something like that. Most likely to run the feed mill and, and yeah, the drug I'm store. Yeah, I'm telling you, it's crazy. I mean, it's like, you know, what's your future plans? And mm -hmm. they said we were most likely to own the feed mill and she was going to own the drugstore. <laughs> funny how things work out like it's that. It's crazy. So you, we all know you for raising club lambs today. What was your first introduction to, to show sheep, and was that really a big part of your family back then, growing up? Actually, no. You know, my my dad and uh, my grandpa, the whole family was in, in beef cattle, and my actual two first show lambs, more throw it way back, uh, Alan Hibshaw. Mm-hmm. Uh, which a lot of people know, Alan Hibshaw, he's judged Louisville, a lot of, you know, majors. Um, he actually worked for my dad. He was our um, assistant manager there at the feed mill before he became the ag teacher at Binger Oni. Mm -hmm. And he, he bought me my first two show lambs. And they were, you know, uh, just a regular old 4-H FFA project kind of deal. Nothing highly competitive. Mm -hmm. Uh, not what we, you know, not what we do like in today's industry. Yeah, for sure. So, what was your goal with those show lambs your first time around? Was it county fair? Or oh OIE? yeah, yeah. I mean, it was. Yeah, I mean, you know, I didn't. I don't really think that I actually had any goals with them. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, if I did, I don't remember them. But it, uh, it was always something new. So, like, I'm the youngest of four kids, and so whenever I was growing up, we would roll into the county fair, and we would have ten or twelve steers and heifers on feed mm -hmm. wow. um and we'd have some show pigs on feed and um 
So I was the only kid of the four of us that actually ever showed sheep. Really? Um, and I think that was my eighth or ninth grade year of high school is whenever I got my first two. Mm-hmm. So how'd that escalate after that, y- your involvement with, with the sheep stuff? Did you pretty pretty quickly decide to start liking it, or was it kind of just a, a thing you did when you were in, in um, high school? You know, that was about the same time we actually got our first set of ewes. Okay. Um, you know, I think we started off with like 20 mature ewes. So my uncle, Jerry, um, he had raised sheep double S suffix with Larry Shell. Mm. And so he'd always had show lambs. And, you know, my dad and them, they were always the beef cattle end of it. Um, so I want to say I was about a, probably a seventh or eighth grade or something like that. My mom and dad got 20 mature ewes. And um, that's kind of where it all started. Mm-hmm. And it was, you know, my dad and my mom's project. And then kind of as it grew, it kind of grew into mine and, and their project together. Mm-hmm. So this this group of ewes that you guys had, you're you're raising them to make some probably club lambs. Yeah, for yeah, it was, it was club lambs. Yeah. So I I believe I'm I'm this is we're throwing this deal way back. Yeah. What year? What year was that? This? Would have been like in eighty nine, eighty eight, eighty nine, mm-hmm. somewhere around in there. Would have been when that first set would have been bought yeah. i don't i don't know the exact year but they come from a gentleman by the name of hugh woodard mm-hmm. from indiahoma is where those original use came from and you know i i that first year or two you know we felt great if we could raise two or three lambs that somebody wanted to show yeah i mean it was and what were you selling them for at that point golly you know I remember we went, there used to be a sale out at Watonga. I don't remember what they called that sale. Um, but I remember, you know, we used to go to some of those small sales, and we sold one for $400 at that sale. And it was the high seller of the whole sale, and we were on cloud nine. Oh, yeah. So, you know, as far as money, it was, but that was back in the days when stud bucks cost 2500 Yeah. Yeah. So... Sure. Uh, yeah, it's it's changed. So how how did you guys, uh, you know, just ex- excel from that point on? Did you go find some bucks or trying to make your use better? Or, or after that, how competitive were you with, with trying to raise sheep, I guess? Well, you know, it um, – so we started with those 20 ewes and with the help of uh, uh, Larry Shell and his family. Um, his wife, Christy, actually worked for my mom and dad, so that's kind of how we got into the sheep stuff. And Larry and my dad were always out looking, and, and Larry, you know, he was very, you know, helpful in the beginning on trying to find those bucks and stuff. And, and really, the the buck that really kind of changed it for us, we had actually purchased from Vince McGolden whenever he was at Elgin, mm-hmm. and he was basically a line-bred Cabinus 801 buck, and, and uh, that was kind of the start of where we really started getting the more competitive sheep. Mm-hmm. You know, we kept a son out of him called Renegade. And so it would have been 94, 95, somewhere out in that area where we started getting those Renegade babies on the ground and started, you know, really starting to be competitive on the, the state level mm-hmm. and the national level. And that's just kind of grown from that point. Yeah. 
So before you graduated high school or, or even before you finished showing, was there a point when you kind of thought to yourself, like, hey, this is this going to work for me? Like, I like the sheep deal. Or, or was it kind of later, you think? You know, now I never showed sheep com- as competitive as what my son Blake yeah. has, has been able to do mm-hmm. in his show career. Um, you know, we, uh, I believe, I, I think I made the sale at Tulsa State Fair one time. Mm-hmm. Um, never made where it's able to make the sale to Oklahoma City. Yeah. Um, so we just weren't on that level of, of showing, and it wasn't till I um, got into college, started making things better, and realized that you know this was something that that we could make money on and and make them better and 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 actually try to make a living off of. Yeah. Sure. So when you graduated high school, what, what what did you think you were gonna do, or did you go to college, or where'd you go? Yeah, I you know, um, so I had some offers to go judge livestock um, after high school. Cho, you know, thought you know that's not really what I wanted to do. Um, I always wanted to go to Oklahoma State because that's mm-hmm. just kind of where all the families always went to school. You know, that's where my dad graduated from. That's where my brother and sister graduated from. So I knew Oklahoma State was where I wanted to go. So I didn't really want to go livestock judge at a junior college or small school you know i yeah. wanted to go right to college and i knew i wanted to do something in agriculture and i didn't know what it was going to be so my my initial my initial um degree was ag economics mm-hmm. and it was probably my second or third year that i decided to go ahead and do it like a double major and went into agriculture education and ag economics and got a double major um and decided you know i wanted to teach ag mm-hmm. So, graduated from OSU with a with a degree in agricultural science to teach. Where'd you go from there? Did you go student teach somewhere? Or did you just yep, go right into yep. a school? So, um, <clears throat> I was married in college, mm-hmm. and so my wife was in pharmacy school at Southwestern, mm-hmm. at Weatherford, Oklahoma, and I was in Stillwater that last year. So we lived separate for about a year while she was going to school out there, and then I was still in Stillwater. So whenever I graduated, you know, I was pretty limited on where I could go teach, you know, because I knew, you know, I couldn't go to. You want to be close. Yeah, yeah, I couldn't go to far southwest Oklahoma or northwest yeah. Oklahoma. So I was kind of limited on where I could go. And, and so I interviewed for my first ag teaching job at Hydro Weekly. They were consolidating that year. Um, I interviewed for the job. Didn't get the job. Of course, Hydro is only about 15 minutes from Weatherford. Or no, I'm sorry. About um, five minutes from Southwestern, where my wife was living, mm-hmm. and uh, I didn't I didn't get that job. I interviewed for it. I didn't get the job. I was kind of sour. Superintendent's yeah. uh, secretary's son got the job. Mm. He was the ag teacher at Eakley, which he's now my brother-in-law. <laughs> yeah. Did you know him at that time? No, I did not. Oh, it's boy. Big circle here, right? That is, that is a funny circle. And um, so I wound up interviewing at Thomas, uh-huh. uh, which was about 17 miles from Weatherford, and I got that job teaching ag. Mm-hmm. And so my wife and I both lived in in Thomas, and she went to school at pharmacy school at Southwestern, and I was the ag teacher at Thomas. How long were you at Thomas for? Uh, we lived there for five years. Okay. And the opportunity came up for my wife. Um, she was actually managing a pharmacy there in, in Thomas, and I was an ag teacher, and Blake was born in April, mm-hmm. 
and I decided, you know what? You know, I was a young ag teacher. We were going all the time. I was gone all the time. And, and I remember, so the night, so the day, Blake was born on April 9th. So I remember April 8th, I was at a speech contest in Moore, Oklahoma. And um, I got home about 1.30 in the morning. And I had to get up at 4 a.m. And we drove back to Oklahoma City because my wife was, you know, it was, it was, they were going to induce my wife to have Blake. And so anyway, make a long story short, I just decided I was ready to stay home. You know, I had a newborn child. I was gone all the time. And I was like, so I quit teaching and went to work for Wheeler Brothers. Mm-hmm. And she was still managing the pharmacy there in Thomas. Um, and then she had the opportunity to go to work. Um, a, a position opened in pa- back home in Pawnee mm-hmm. with the... Um, uh, Indian Health Services through the uh, Commission Corps officers as a pharmacist. You know, it had, you know, opportunities for retirement. You know, it was a government job. And so she kind of applied for the job not thinking she would actually get the position mm-hmm. because, you know, they have preference on Very competitive. on those, you know, those positions. And um, nobody applied that would have preference over her. And, um she got the job, and so we moved back home. Heck yeah. And so once we moved back home, that's when our sheep numbers kind of jumped back up um, to a lo- little bit larger number where we could, you know, I was there to help more and yeah. do more of that stuff. So you, you went to school and, and left home to go teach and, and do that for probably, say, about maybe eight, eight nine yeah, years? Yeah, What was the state of that sheep flock during that time? Was it still competitive, or what were you guys doing? Oh, yeah, doing? yeah, yeah. We... Uh, we sold a lot of sheep that were very competitive at, you know, majors, mm-hmm. state fairs, really competitive. Uh, won, won a lot of state fairs, mm-hmm. um, had reserves and some stuff like that at national shows. And, um, you know, it's hard because I was running back and forth mm-hmm. because Thomas to Pawnee is about a two and a half hour drive. So I was constantly running back and forth, but my parents were taken care of. You know the day-to-day yeah. lambing. I would try to come home on the weekends when I could and do all that stuff. But our numbers, you know, they weren't huge at that point, and they're still not huge today. Mm-hmm. But we, um, it was a lot of. I mean, it was a. It, it was them. You know, it was my mom and dad that really yeah. kept that deal going, and and kept it to where you know we could be you know still be successful. Yeah. So you quit teaching. Your wife gets a job back home, and you guys move home, and and you get home and. You're probably five minutes from your sheep flock, if not less, or right there. Yeah, yeah, actually, um, yeah, let's see, about three or four miles. So, yeah, yeah. five five minute drive, absolutely. So how, how did your relationship with your, your your parents and your sheep and all that change right after you, you guys moved home? And well, and we jumped that? our numbers up. Yeah, you know, um, I quit teaching, came home, went to, back to work with mom and dad at the feed mill. Sheep numbers jumped back up, and you know I was I was available more to help on day to day stuff. Yeah. Take kind of take some strain off of them, um, which you know now that my kid, you know now that I have multiple children, you know I have, I have three kids, um, chasing them with their activities. You know I rely still a lot on my parents to yeah. to help do all the you know a lot of the things that I can't be there to do whenever I you know interferes with like being down here at OIE yeah. for four or five days. You know we we've we've got people that help and then he you know my my dad and them oversee all that stuff. 
For sure. While we're gone. For sure. Legendary Mindset will be back after a word from our sponsor. United Harvest procures the finest meats from the finest ranchers, farmers, and butchers. Many of you know the difference between farm-raised and store-bought meat. Having eaten these meats, we can guarantee that they are the most superior meats you will ever eat. By offering you the highest quality ag products directly to customers, United Harvest is able to both bypass middleman, pushing profits back to the American farmer and rancher, and providing the highest quality meats to you. No coal cows here. Please go to unitedharvest.com and type in the discount code FRIENDS15 to enjoy 15% off your first order. Ladies and gentlemen, these are premium meats with the company paying nearly twice the market price to the cattlemen for their finest cattle. Struby Livestock. Struby Livestock would like to congratulate and thank their customers on a very successful 2021 show season. It definitely was a banner year, and they're excited to have gathered eight breed champions reserves at Texas Majors with final and final crosses. They can't wait to offer a very impressive set of weathers this summer. Sale dates have been scheduled, and the online final weather sale will be May 22nd, and the other final cross weather sale will be June 11th. Both sales will be hosted by SC Online Sales. Approximately 50 weathers will be offered in each sale, and nothing will be sold prior to these sales. As always, please plan to join them on-site for bidding, food, and lots of fun. So you guys are, I mean, ultra-competitive, kind of just a, a nationwide known name in terms of raising sheep that, that win and do good. When did you guys really just kind of get competitive and, 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 and just kind of start you know start that cycle of, of competitive and, and getting people to come back and buy sheep and all that yeah so you know we used to of course this was back that you know it was back before online sales mm -hmm. you know so we would take all these sheep to these live auctions and so you know that would have been back in the 90s mid 90s something like that you know we were we were doing the live auction stuff and and you know we would sell 30 to 40 weathers in one weekend because we'd hit, you know, the corporation sale. And, well, actually, it was a Friday night sale. They had the best shot. Then they would have the corp on Saturday. Then we'd go to, the, you know, run up to El Reno and hit the new generation sale. And then on Sunday, we would hit Enid, the Garfield County sheep sale. And so that was kind of our main focus. You know, we was doing those live auctions. And, you know, people back then, you know, they knew we were bringing them all to those sales. So they were waiting because, you know, we didn't really sell a lot of them at the house because, we, you know, that we would take them to live sales. Yeah. And so that's how we would, you know, they would buy them through those auctions. Kind of helped you blow up a little bit there? Yeah, yeah, it did because, you know, you bring you bring quality to those sales, you know, Oklahoma black and white, you know, mm -hmm. and, you know, long time ago, in which the black and white sale is so much better today than it was seven, eight years ago. Oh, yeah. But back years and years ago you know you would have all your your main breeders in the nation bringing bucks and you lambs and i mean you know it was a big sale oh, yeah. and you know whenever we were able to go down there and, and have supreme female and sell them and you know have weathers and sell them and that it, meant a lot yeah. yeah it was it was a big deal and so that just kind of helped kind of got the ball rolling for sure. Um, on those live auction sales, and that kind of got our name out there. And then, then you had the people buying them. And you know, the right families winning. The right families stuff. that yeah. were buying them. You know, that were ultra competitive, and would get get them out there. You know, and get you to win in shows in Georgia, uh, Louisiana. You know, all these mm -hmm. Arkansas, all these other states. You know, kind of border us. 
and then that's just kind of how our slowly but surely just yeah kind of got you yeah kind of got it going for sure so everyone's got a different vision of sheep and and if you kind of look through your website and your bucks and your winners your sheep have kind of remained pretty pretty much the same for a while i mean there's a slight change in quality and trends but like i think of a shapely good-looking blue sheep often when i think of a schedule sheep and 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 how does that kind of factor into what you guys are trying to do over there and well you know it's funny because I have a, a really good friend of mine that, you know, asked me, I don't know, a couple of weeks ago. He's like, hey, do you have any blue sheep this year? Because, mm-hmm. I mean, we've gotten to where we don't, you know, we just don't have a lot of them anymore because, you know, whenever we bred to that Mark and Tell Buck tonic, mm-hmm. I mean, he, he kind of took a lot of that that color out of there. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, our Buck Hawk Carl, you know, we didn't get a lot of color out of those. But, you know, we've always tried to kind of stay true and not follow – and jump on trends mm-hmm. you know i mean we, we've tried to, to raise sheep that are functional sound you know run uphill got some shape and look mm-hmm. from the side you know and got some shape and some touch and handle to them whenever you you know you put your hands on them and you you evaluate them yeah. you know um something now but when you look back <laughs> And you look back and you you go back to through our website and, and sheep that we used to think had substance and bone and quality, you're like, man, when you compare them to today's standards, yeah, I mean, we've kind of went with that trend, but we've still kept true to they've got to have some 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 air underneath them. You know, mm-hmm. they've got to grow and get to that 150, 160-pounder weight range and not stop at 125, 30 yeah. pounds. You know, those ones that are like that are real, you know, people love to buy them. But those but, aren't the ones that are going to go out and and really be competitive on the top end yeah. when it's all said and done. How have you guys made, I mean, you've, you've been in this forever and, and, you know, been competitive through it all. But how do you keep your use good and, and where you want them while you're also trying to maybe push the envelope on some trends and, and go maybe a little bit different direction? for the guys judging you know your bucks your bucks are only as good as your females yeah so it's all started you know to me we try to be very selective and very stingy when it comes to our our females that we want to keep mm-hmm. and we try to keep females out of the right you families um that's where it all starts and you look at the you know you look at a buck and you, you analyze them and you think about them and you know you want a buck you want a buck to make the, the sheep better than what their mama is mm-hmm. you know those elite ones um, and if they can keep making those sheep better then you know obviously those are the ones that you want to keep a lot of females out of those are the ones that that um, you know I try to keep I try to keep like a type and kind and try to keep them all the same that way, you know, whenever you have a buck that hits on something, it's hitting across the board. Yeah. You know, you want, you know, uniform. You know, you want people to walk into your barn and look at your set of sheep and say, man, this is a deep set of sheep that all look alike. Mm-hmm. For sure. You know, um, you don't want a bunch of highs and lows and, you know, a lot of good ones here and a lot of bad ones over here. You know, you kind of want them to look the same. Yeah. So, I mean... All- Say you're, you're staring at your whole pen to keep for you lambs, and, you know, odds are most of their mamas you raise, and you probably raise yep. their dads a lot of times. Yep. And so yep. surely you can find qualities in all of them that you like, yep. right? So, yep. like, where, where do you draw the line, and where do you separate the ones that need to stay? And, and what do those look like, or does it even factor in, 
you know how much of how much of how they bleed and wh- what their moms are and well, dads you know, are. Well, you know, yeah, in. it's funny you talk about. So, you know, blood work, blood work has come into play the last ten years. You know, people today are talking about your FD, your dwarf gene, when you know eight to ten years ago we were talking about the scrapie gene. Mm-hmm. You know, everybody, everybody was you know trying to find an RR buck because. You know, that was the big deal yeah. that, you know, they come out and, you know, anything that was QR, QQ. So so that that was the first step in changing a lot of people. You know, whenever you, you know, you study the alphabet on your sheep more than you study the sheep themselves. So I think that had an effect on what people were keeping. They were worrying more about the alphabet than the quality. Um, and now it's kind of switched gears you know, people don't really ask and talk about, you know, are they QQ, QR, RR, or if they're a spider carrier, you know, NS. A lot of these, a lot of the younger breeders and stuff, I'm sure they've probably never even seen a spider. Yeah. You know, because we were able to kind of eliminate that gene through the testing. Mm-hmm. Well, now it's the, the dwarf gene yeah. that we're dealing with. And so, you know, people are more concerned with the FF, FDs, double, you know, DD, sheep. And, you know, you got to take that into consideration when you're keeping your females now. Yeah. You know, back 20 years ago, we didn't have all, you know, we didn't have all, these tests all, all the alphabet. You know, you just kept your quality and you kept the best ones out of the best mamas consistently. Mm-hmm. And, you know, now we're, we're, we're you've got to balance, you've got to balance keeping the right females all the right use but you also got to take into consideration some of their alphabet um whenever you're making breeding decisions Mm -hmm. on trying to figure out you know fd fd crosses you know um you know if you've got some 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 females that check double d you know you you obviously you're probably going to want to try to find a good ff buck to Mm -hmm. try to source that out and try to make some fds yeah so that that I mean this this FFDD I mean us knowing their their genotype, you know blood work is is fairly recent. But I think the quality and the and those features that they come with have kind of been around for a little bit longer. Yeah. How yeah. do you factor in you know maybe keeping DD sheep around and, and in your genotype and in, in your ancestry line, you know into the future? Do you think you're going to keep um, you know we're going to keep incorporating the DD or the D gene just for muscle in the future, or how do you kind of plan your youth well, for the future? Well, you know, that? it's, that's a tough one. That's a that's a fine line mm-hmm. that we're all trying to figure out because I think you know those ones, those sheep that can bleed FF and look like an FD are worth a lot of money. Mm-hmm. We 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 saw that last week. Yeah, I mean, you know, Tyson Rule. Um, you know, was able to sell that record-selling buck because he's an FF that's bred good, but he looks like an FD. Yeah. And so, you know, that's what we're all chasing. That's what we're all trying to do is raise something that's unique. That's unique. Mm-hmm. And so whenever you look at it, um, you know, I think you've got to be the FDs in today's industry and times to have the right kind of shape and the right kind of look that, that go together. Mm-hmm. Um, as we're learning more and we're realizing how the, the double D gene works, because not all, 
not all double D sheep are non-functional. Yeah. You know, we have some that obviously don't grow too straight shouldered, bucked over knees, um, straighten their hocks, have a lot of issues that, that don't make them sound functional livestock. Yeah. But there are those DD animals that maybe they don't grow quite as quick. Um, they won't get as big, mm-hmm. but they're still round in the rib cage. They still have muscle, obviously. Um, they just don't get as big. Mm-hmm. And they still have a place um, for smaller kids. You know, they have a, they have a place yeah, sure. to a certain extent. But we can't, you know, I don't think as an industry, you know, we can't be breeding a bunch of you know, obviously, yeah. DD. We, can just, we can't just hang our hat on them. No, we can't. We can't be muscle. having a lot of DDs breeding to DDs or FD. You know what I mean? Yeah, you got to. Sure. That's and that's what every breeder has to figure out mm-hmm. is how am I going to balance this alphabet in my flock? For sure. So, we, like we said, been raising sheep for a while, and and you got your original. You you, you told me who you got your original. Hugh Woodard from, from Hugh, Indiana. Him. Okay. So where did you, you you went to um, so Ben Markentel for yep. for some bucks? How yep. long did that last? And was it just a one time trip, or did you go out there for um, genetics quite a bit? No, you know we, um, um, you know we were able to go down and get tonic, and what we had at the time were some some blue ewes and some some sheep that were a little bit they were really hard muscled, mm-hmm. ran uphill. But they needed more hip shape, top shape. They need to be blown apart a little bit. And Mark and Tails um, were basically line bred cabinets. Yeah. And so we went down and we picked out this little, I mean, and he was small. He was barely eight weeks old. And uh, we brought him home. And, you know, he was a sheep that was dead level. You know, his hook, his uh, hip loin junction was near perfect. You know, his loin edge was wide. His hip was big. And, you know, he wasn't, uh, he was an average size sheep. Mm-hmm. Um, in those days, standards, time, you know, what they, what those standards were back then. Would we consider him moderate today? or? Yeah, we- yeah, we'd still consider him moderate. Yeah. Um, bone work and foot size back then we thought it was, was big. Yeah. And in today's standards, it wouldn't be. Yeah. But then we thought it was. And so what we did was we took, because, uh, Tonic was a 43 on a 40 daughter. And it was, like I said, it was just, you know, line bred cabinets. And so what we did was we were able to u- utilize him and breed him to those harder doing, tighter made blue use. Mm-hmm. And that kind of took our, you know, that, that started taking some of our color out of the sheep and kind of, you know, changed their rib shape. It, it it squared them up out their hips. Did you propagate them a lot, line them up, or just kind of throw them in no, there once? And no, no, no. We, I, I think, I think that was what made him work so good. Is he was line bred. Yeah. But we outcrossed him, and um, we were able to keep those females that were really good. Yeah. And we never had much luck trying breeding like tonic back to tonics, mm-hmm. you know that kind of stuff, because I think it was the, I think it was the outcross. That, really, that really made those sheep work for us and kind of get our, you know, take our females to a whole nother level as far as being, you know, big ribbed, big bodied, stout made females mm-hmm. that, you know, kind of, we just moderated them a little bit 
but yet they still had that look and grow to them still too, but they weren't as hard doing. Yeah. And like I said, we thought that they had bone and shag at that time, and when you look back at them, you realize maybe not, maybe not so much as compared to today. For sure. So when I think of you know my first you know thought in my head that when I hear scheduled club lambs, one of the, one of the other things is you know I hear I think of crip. Mm-hmm. And how that you know Miss Crip and then that mm-hmm. you and her influence and, and some of the bucks that people are still breeding to today, um, and how far back that that goes. Let's look, can you tell us a story about Crip and how he came about and and uh, that Miss Crip and how she factors into your flock. Yeah, so Miss Crip is out of a a buck we ha- we had called Crip, and Crip was out of a tonic daughter five ninety three, and. 593 was, so her first lamb she ever had was grand at OYE for Baylor Newcomb. The following year, we bred her to Guy Wire and cut that buck lamb. And Cooper Newcomb actually showed him for reserve to reserve grand at Kansas City. So the next year, we bred her to a Guy Wire son called 663. And put her in the lamin jug she had a single and so we tried grafting a baby onto her and she she did not you know she rejected the the graft on the baby and in the meantime she broke this sheep's back leg so we casted it did all that things well you know anyway it ended up being crooked mm-hmm. so we decided well there's only one thing we can do you know with her tr- this female's track record is we're going to keep this mm-hmm. buck and so that's how he got his name was Crip, was because he was crippled. Mm-hmm. And so we took, we used Crip and um, bred him to some females. And, and we actually ended up selling half of him to Kent Langmire as a yearling. But that's where Miss Crip derived. She was reserved grand for the Cox family here at OYE. Mm-hmm. And um, Tyson was down here. And that was back whenever we used to sell those top use at a in the use sale here at oye and so i bought her back and legendary mindset will return after a word from our sponsors rule supplements the boldest supplement company on the market what they lack in grace and poise they make up for in originality and results their motto is results matter because results are the driving factor in this industry and no one ever talks about the fifth place ulam our product line has your livestock covered with solutions for joint health as well as reproductive performance for all species their most popular products are Thick, Shredded R, The Formula, and Strutton. These products alone or combined have fed many of the nation's champions this year. The Grand Uitic Zarbin, Indiana Stock Show, and the Indiana State Fair were all fed Shredded R and The Formula. Their customers have also found success at Wisconsin and California Youth Expo, as well as the Kansas, Iowa, Missouri, Colorado, and Tulsa State Fairs. There are many more results than that, which they would love to share, but they only have 60 seconds. So follow them on Facebook and Instagram and use the coupon code JakeP for $5 off your order. Results. And we are back. Uh, we just took a, a short uh, three-hour break to go watch the, the Grand Drive at the Oklahoma Youth Expo. But uh, we're back here with Brian's schedule uh, to discuss the, the rest of this. So, Brian... Um, we kind of talked about you know your early history and getting those ewes right in the in their late 90s and early 2000s and and just kind of discussed just a little bit of of what you guys do today. But let's talk about common day schedule show lambs and and, and how that works and and uh, you know the strides you guys are making you know today. Um, you know compared to what you know, you've been doing this a long time. You know through the 90s and early 2000s, um, 
but what has been maybe the biggest challenge of trying to raise club lambs and stay at the top in the last five years compared to previously? You know, first of all, I want to congratulate the Randall family. Yeah. Really good friends of ours. Happy for them. Sadie Allen. It was great to go down and witness that. It was kind of bittersweet because mm -hmm. it's uh, Blake's, you know, last grand drive at mm -hmm. OYE, and he had a chance to be out there, didn't get selected. But anyway, congrats to those guys. And, you know, probably the, one of the biggest challenges that's changed and evolved in the sheep industry, I think, is the utilization of embryo transfer and artificial insemination. Mm -hmm. You know, um, it's enabled breeders to focus on those high-end top females, and I think it, it, it enabled flocks to improve drastically what, what took, you know, a lot of people years to develop, you know, with the utilization of embryo transfer and, and artificial insemination, you know, it, it's enabled those people to, those flocks to um, use the, the, the best bucks in the industry and flush their best females to make more females and and something that would take years to develop you know they're able to do it in in one or two crops yeah. and um you know really get them going and it's really made it um more competitive mm -hmm. you know the sheep in today's industry i think are are more competitive and higher in quality livestock than probably what we've seen in a long time for sure and you spend so much time, uh, we talk about these, the, the use a lot and how important it is to just make, keep making them better. Um, but at a certain point, you know, where, what is the next step, you think, for, for sheep now? I think, I think a lot of sheep are, you know, through the flush and, and AI and stuff, like there's a lot of shag everywhere. A lot of sheep have muscle, and, and they're all cracked open and, and wide. What is, what is the next step to making your females better, you know, maybe to project them into the future a little bit or, or just keep them right? You know, man, that's a that's a tough question because I think at the end of the day, there's two things you got to try to do. One, you got to try to raise quality livestock that has demand. Mm -hmm. The second thing is, is you've got to be able to walk out there every day, feed them, and look at them and say, "Hey, I like what I'm doing. You know, I like the direction I'm taking my my flock, and I like what the females are looking like." Because um, at the end of the day, if you don't really like what you're, you know, you can't be a, go for the trend and not, you know, you you gotta you gotta raise what you like, um, and still stay within the the standards of the trends. And you know, um, there's a lot of breeders out there that have continued to evolve and and keep moving forward, but still stay within what they're known for. You know, you think of the Heinemans, Brian Johnson, you know, those sheep are, you know, they're crossed up and those sheep have a lot of shape and, and a lot of touch. And, and those guys have stayed true to, to what they've always done, but yet they've incorporated some of the new trends with it. You know, you don't go to, to Brian Johnson's to buy a sheep that's only going to get 130 pounds and, mm -hmm. and, and be super wide and stout. You know, you go there for, for sheep that handle incredible and, and are tight-shouldered and up-fronted, but, you know, have a cool show ring look, you know. And, and breeders like that, and as well as myself, I'm trying to, to follow those trends and make them better, but yet still stay within what we like to, to raise. Um, because if you're not raising uh, the kind you like, you know, it, it just kind of takes all the fun out of it. For sure, for sure. 
So you've got some kids, right? You got yes, three sir. kids. Yep. Right. Your oldest, we just talked about. You know, just got done showing um, there in his in his last grand drive. Mm-hmm. So what um, what has that been like raising your raising your kids with this and, and have them right alongside you? I mean, your your son's had an incredible show career and, and tons of success. What is that like for you guys to do that as a family and together? Well, you know, Blake is obviously my oldest child, mm-hmm. fixing to turn eighteen, finishing up uh, his show career and. You know, whenever I was teaching ag and he was a, a small child and, you know, he would go with me and, you know, he was the one that I really kind of pushed and drove to, to try to, you know, get with the sheep and and um, show livestock and and um, he's been very successful at it. But my daughter, you know, I had to um, sit back and realize, hey, you know, she doesn't really like the sheep in the show and so she's taking a, a – um, a different road and you know she shows guilts and mm-hmm. has been very successful you know winning grand at kansas city reserve at the world pork expo and i mean she's she's had a really good run with her guilts um and we're very fortunate for that and you know my youngest child bryce he's only seven years old um and really i probably haven't given him the same opportunities i have my oldest child um because i've been so busy um focused on them I've just kind of let him kind of tag along and and now that you know Blake's done and, and Brooklyn will be done in a couple of years hopefully he kind of takes the same passion and drive to to be involved you know with the livestock you know like those older two kids mm-hmm. for sure so we hear in tons of grand drive speeches about how this is the best organization and best way to raise your kids and, and because of all the things that it teaches them um, what are some of those things that 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 your kids take out of it, and, and where does the you know the the collision of sports and stuff learned from being a, a highly competitive athlete factor into from what they're taking out of these these activities we involve them in? I I can tell you one of the f- the main things is time management, mm-hmm. because if you if you've got a kid that's super involved in high school sports, plus highly competitive. Um, in the show ring, it, it takes a family, it takes a group of people, it, it takes a lot of help, and we've been very fortunate to have great people around us that's enabled us to do all those things because, you know, there's so many times that we're gone and, you know, there's other people that have to help step up that, you know, go out and, and help treadmill and, and uh, rinse and blow out legs and wrap legs and, and, you know, get clean hog pens and help walk hogs. I mean, it's, it's just... You know, you can't do it without those people, but, you know, time management is crucial mm-hmm. to trying to figure it all out and get it all done. And, you know, probably the biggest thing that these kids are going to get out from it is, you know, just because you work hard every day and just because you have the desire and you want to win, that doesn't always mean you're going to go out there and, and, and get mm-hmm. first place or be grand champion. I mean, it's – it it doesn't guarantee anything because there's all these other kids that have the same feelings just mm-hmm. as what, you know, you or, you know, your sister or brother or whoever does. And, and it's, it's really one of those things that they're probably just as deserving as you are. And so you have to sit back and realize I'm not always going to win. I can't always be the best at everything I do. And as long as you're, you know, as long at the end of the day, whenever it's all said and done, the dust is settled and you gave it everything you had, that's all you can ask for. Mm-hmm. That's all you can ask for is to be, you know, competitive, um, have a drive, a desire, a hunger to do good, and the rest will take care of itself. 
because at the end of the day, it's it's one one person's opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, at our house, you know, we we work hard, we try to do the best we can, but it don't always work out. Yeah. You know, uh, this was Blake's senior year at OYE, and he had a fabulous end run, but ultimately, you know, there's only going to be three people, Grand Reserve and Bronze, that's going to come away, you know, yeah. feeling fully satisfied, like, hey, we got something accomplished, mm-hmm. and, and that's a, you know, that's a tough part of it. Yeah. I mean, they only give away those those three prizes, but I feel like there are hundreds of kids that walk away with so much. Oh, they do. And, and, you know, maybe your goal, maybe your goal is, hey, I'm going to get up here, and I'm going to try not to get, you know, try, try to get a ribbon, try to try mm-hmm. to place. Or maybe your goal is, hey, I want to try to uh, get in the limo, in the limo mm-hmm. ride. Or your goal is to win a class. I mean, there's so many different goals. Mm-hmm. Um, it just depends on what level you want to set your goals and, and try to obtain them. And then the next year, try to do better. And the next year, you know, just keep s- stair-stepping those goals to try to achieve, you know, the ultimate end goal. And that's mm-hmm. winning OIE. Mm-hmm. I think that's every kid's dream when they start. Oh, yeah. Especially if you sit in there and watch that grand drive. Oh, absolutely. And, and the it's the best. All that. So, you know, it, like you, you mentioned earlier, you know, time management. The, the, this, these activities take so much out of you and, and almost all you've got if you want to win, right? And, and you guys have, have mastered it in, in both aspects. And what's it like to have a kid and, and, and just kind of stay in that headspace of, you know, state champion wrestler right i mean and then highly competitive at all these national shows and in your state shows and what's it like to have that kind of mindset going in like we we want to be the very best like we're not just here to make the pull we're here to to conquer absolutely um you know and i think that drive starts at home you know um, we've been fortunate and blessed to have kids that um are competitive they don't like to lose and i think they they learn that from their uh, mom and dad you know, um, we've always said, hey, if we're going to do this, we're going to do it to be good. And we're going to do it to be competitive. Um, and that's that's just how, I mean, that starts at home with the schoolwork. You know, we, we push our kids to to um, be good students in the classroom. You know, we're not happy with, with just average grades because we know you can do better. And that's the same thing with, you know, wrestling or football or showing sheep or showing pigs. I mean, whatever it is, I mean, you're gonna get, you're gonna do your best. And if you're not giving it your best, we're gonna let you know about it. Um, and you know, they're gonna see, hey, you know, I can do better. I, I should be doing better um, if I wanna to reach my goals. Mm-hmm. For sure. So your kid's been pretty involved. I mean, you got you got more than Blake, but he's uh, he's a senior. What's uh what's our, what are his plans for future? Um, you know, Blake. Um, started wrestling whenever he was uh, five years old and has been very successful but it's it's taken a lot of work mm-hmm. uh, he works very hard and you know he um this fall he committed to oklahoma state to to be a you know part of their wrestling program you know as a two-time oklahoma state champion um he's been very competitive he's very self-driven mm-hmm. um what 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 a lot of people don't understand is he's got a a younger sister mm-hmm. that yeah she she doesn't play all the sports but she's just as competitive and driven as he is mm-hmm. um she doesn't like to lose and i think that's like i said that's just a, um something that we try to instill in those kids mm-hmm. i think that's <clears throat> just that competitive factor of a kid being able to physically know and see if i work my tail off i can do it 
and, and to know that there's nothing that they can't do if they just work hard enough. I think that's probably my favorite thing. That yeah, yeah, I, and it is. I mean, you know, um, just since we've been down here at OYE, you know, there's been so many people that's stopped and congratulated him on his, you know, committing to Oklahoma State to wrestle and and being a state champion and and you know I, I just don't think that these older kids even in the show ring or in the sports arena I don't know that they fully grasp at this age how many younger kids look at them as a role model I mean I, they really don't um, you know there's so many kids that will come up and congratulate him and and you know probably one of the biggest compliments we had here at OYE is we had a chance to visit uh, with Mark Hogue, who just judged the goats, and and he's you know we spent about 30 minutes talking with Mr. Hogue, and and you know him and Blake were talking wrestling because his son mm-hmm. um, is you know getting into the wrestling, and and um, you know he was Hogue's just like me, you know we don't keep up with all the social media stuff, and and uh, Mark was you know talking about how his son was like, Dad, this is so cool, you know, hey this kid shows sheep, you know this this Blake schedule, and and he's a state champion wrestler, and and, you know, it's cool that somebody else shows livestock. So we, we talked, and, and uh, Mark and Blake talked about, you know, the aspect of, of wrestling and the competitive nature of it and, and the, you know, the weightlifting involved and the cutting of the weight and all that stuff. And, and so, you know, you, you don't realize the impact that you have um, a lot, or a lot of those kids don't realize the impact that they have on kids, you know, that live in other states mm-hmm. that, that see what you can do and – and, you know, and that was something that uh, Mark and I and Blake were talking about was how do you get all this stuff done? You know, I mean, it's how do you how do you treadmill sheep and rinse and blow out legs and and practice wrestling? And then after that, go lift weights. And I mean, it's just it's all about managing your time and you got to want to do it. For sure. You got to want to be successful at more than one thing. And uh, we, we push our kids to be involved in everything. Awesome. Awesome. Well, uh, yeah, thanks for sitting down with me, Brian. You and, bet. And going through this and you bet. And, and talking about that com- that competitive nature that is so important to what we do. You bet. You bet. For sure. Well, I hope you guys enjoyed that. Um, that episode with Brian was a was a lot of fun, and I learned a lot about him that I didn't know. Um, but I think it's always cool when we can wrap our heads around the fact that 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 level of competitiveness can can be transpired, whether it's you know, from stock showing to sports or, or basically anything in life. Um, and that's kind of one of the, the thought processes behind Legendary Mindset is, is getting that out of people and, and that, that way of life and, and that lifestyle of, of always wanting to be, you know, at the top and, and not believing that you can't get there. Um, but anyways, be sure to check out the show with Cannon Brown, the Keeper Pen, and Cattle Pros. Um, but we will see you guys next week.